Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. In 2022, the Chemicals Program of the OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, celebrates its 50th anniversary. The program aims to improve chemical safety worldwide. In this episode, we'll speak with Bob Diedrich, Head of the Environment, Health and Safety Division of the OECD. We first have a look back and reflect on some of the successes of the organization, before going into more details on what still needs to be done to further harmonize chemicals assessment across the world. But we also discuss the challenge of animal testing that is common to many OECD countries and how the road towards wider acceptance of alternative methods might look. This is Safer Chemicals Podcast, and my name is Baby Okiniemi. Hello, Bob. Welcome to Helsinki. Thanks for joining our podcast. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. Um, first of all, I'd like to uh, congratulate the OECD uh, on the chemicals uh, program anniversary. Uh, in this context, uh, I was wondering if you could start by sharing perhaps a couple of key milestones of your work, something that has really impacted on the, on the chemicals management worldwide. All right, good. I'll, I'll, I'll mention <clears throat> three, which uh, historically I think are, are really important in the, in the history of the OECD chemicals program. Uh, first, I'll mention uh, mutual acceptance of data, or, or MAD as we call it. Uh, which is a, a legally binding agreement between uh, countries uh, through which uh, um, countries agree that uh, if uh, test results are generated uh, using OECD standards, which are uh, OECD test guidelines and OECD principles of uh, good laboratory practice, then those results are accepted in, in all countries that, uh, that adhere to the system, which means that chemicals only have to be tested once, and not several times uh, according to different uh, uh, regional or, or national standards, uh, which saves huge amounts of money to industry and to governments. The other um, uh, milestone I mentioned is uh, uh, systematic inv investigation of chemicals. All OECD countries have agreed that they would have legislation in place to systematically investigate all chemicals which are on the market, not just pesticides, not just pharmaceuticals, but also industrial chemicals and consumer chemicals, uh, and that they would have a systematic approach towards uh, addressing all of them. The, the third point I'll mention is the, um, the high production volume chemicals program at uh, the OECD, which ran for about uh, 10 years, where countries agreed to divide up the, the inventory of high production volume chemicals through the uh, OECD countries, and perform uh, screening hazard and, uh, and risk assessment on those chemicals. Um, and uh, overall, I think we did about uh, 1,200 chemicals over that uh, period of time, um, which really meant that countries learned how to work together and how to have a, a common view on how to perform uh, hazard assessments and how to um, uh, perform screening assessments on, on chemicals which means that we have a kind of a convergence between uh, how countries perform these things a, so we can reuse each other's work uh, uh, much more much more easily and uh, among the results of that uh, uh, program there were a number of spin-offs like uh, uh, robust study summaries uh, which found their way into reach for example uh, so there there were quite a number of practical uh, results from that uh, from that program 
Some very, very important examples there. Um, we'll touch upon at least the test guidelines a little bit in the later stage here. But if we then come back to, um, back to the present, um, where's the focus of your work at the moment? What would you say? Yeah, there's a, there's a number of drivers right now. Uh, one of the biggest drivers is uh, uh, non-animal testing. Uh, countries are getting really serious about moving away from, uh, from animal testing and, and trying to find uh, new ways to, uh, uh, to, do, to do hazard assessment. Another driver is uh, what I call uh, em- emerging types of, uh, of substances. Uh, we call advanced materials, where we, we don't know whether they fit within our regulation we don't know how to identify whether they fit into the regulation, uh, how to assess them, uh, and, and so on. We have a lot of experience from um, uh, having tried to deal with nanomaterials over the last 10 years. Um, but experience with nanomaterials also show us, shows us that uh, we, we, uh, we can't have the same approach again for the next generation of, uh, of the new types of products. We need to have new approaches towards addressing those um, new types of, uh, of products. Uh, and uh, uh, so we are investigating uh, uh, those approaches like uh, safe and sustainable by design and uh, uh, trusted environment between industry and authorities. How can you uh, um, move towards uh, not having to, to, to change your regulation all the time, do new test methods all the time, to uh, uh, be able to deal with those uh, types of new uh, uh, new materials, is there a way to have a more agile type of regulation in addressing uh, those uh, new emerging uh, challenges? I'll mention uh, maybe two more uh, uh, drivers. One is plastics, of course, and the interface between chemicals and waste. We've just done some work on uh, um, criteria for sustainable uh, design of plastics from a chemicals point of view. Now that we've published those, the next question is, how do we incentivize the use of those criteria? How do we incentivize that actually the uh, plastic uh, products that come on the, onto the market are more sustainable, are more easy to, to recycle, uh, and so on? So how do we, what are the hurdles, what are economic hurdles? How do you overcome those? Um, the last one I'll mention is uh, PFAS, uh, which, uh, uh, although uh, a number of countries are becoming very active, uh, uh, let's say the awareness across, uh, across the world is slowly uh, uh, increasing and more and more countries are interested in uh, moving towards uh, uh, safer alternatives. Uh, and so that's one of the, uh, let's say, flagship activities that, uh, that we're having now. Quite many uh, familiar themes there. Um, and maybe a bit of a bridge from there to uh, maybe to some collaboration. So ECA is actively contributing to the EU collaboration with the OECD. Um, how do you see that our actions, our activities are uh, supporting OECD's goals? And maybe if you have some examples. ECA has been a, a fabulous partner over the, over the last uh, many years and continues to, 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 to be so. Uh, one of the characteristics of the European Union in the, let's say, in, in the global uh, chemicals management environment is that uh, the European Union is, is, uh, is probably a leader 
in in uh, in chemicals management worldwide and it's trying to really push the envelope uh, really move ahead uh, with chemicals management uh, agenda uh, whereas other countries are uh, going at a much slower pace which on, on on the one side makes it more difficult for us to find uh, topics for co- cooperation uh, but on the other hand uh, is is allowing us to to showcase how it how it can be uh, done um, uh, over the last years also the uh, let's say the uh, where, where ECA's contribution has been most um, uh, impactful was uh, in, in the development of uh, a number of tools for uh, uh, chemicals management policy implementation. Uh, I'll, I'll mention a few ones. The uh, uh, QSTAR toolbox uh, has been from the beginning, uh, from its uh, uh, design, I think in 2006, uh, a, joint, a joint project between the OECD and uh, uh, the European European Union and late, later ECHA. Uh, and, and that has been a, a super uh, a successful project, uh, which is uh, that uh, the toolbox is now being used worldwide by more and more uh, stakeholders. It is being implemented or integrated more and more into uh, uh, chemicals management processes in, in regulatory agencies. Uh, so that's one of the very big uh, success stories. The other area of collaboration, uh, which I, I think has still a, a huge potential for, for future success, is electronic exchange of data. Uh, uh, the uh, OECD in uh, 2004 uh, started to, to develop um, uh, what we call uh, uh, harmonized templates, electronic standards for, uh, electronic, for uh, data exchange. ECHA has been a, a contributor to that, uh, to that work. ECHA does all the uh, implementation work on those, uh, on those tools. One of the immediate results of that was that uh, the European Chemicals Agency integrated uh, those harmonized templates into Euclid, which means now that Euclid uh, is, has become an international tool uh, because it uses international standards. And more and more countries are interested now in, in using Euclid for their regulatory uh, uh, processes, uh, which means that the more this happens, uh, the more uh, electronic exchange of, of data on chemicals will be easier, will be cheaper for governments and for industry. And I think the potential for uh, savings uh, and reducing costs of uh, uh, regulatory processes through the harmonization of uh, uh, exchange of data is still huge. Uh, and I think we're just at the beginning there. And I'm really looking forward for continued uh, uh, collaboration with ECHA on that. Thank you. Very nice, uh, concrete examples there. Um, and then over to something else that is actually quite concrete. That would be a concrete result from the chemicals program. And I'm talking about the uh, internationally agreed guidelines for testing chemicals. Uh, you already mentioned them at the beginning a little bit as one of those key milestones. But maybe you can tell a little bit more about the guidelines and how they support the, the global chemicals management. So uh, the, the, the OECD test guidelines are developed in the context of uh, mutual acceptance of data. Uh, so uh, if uh, data is generated using OECD test guidelines uh, and, and using uh, the uh, principles of uh, good laboratory practice, then the results are 
accepted in, in all the countries that uh, are adhering to the, the system of mutual acceptance of data, uh, which is actually growing. Uh, we now have seven non-OECD member countries that are full adherent uh, to the system. So the, uh, the, the system is not just OECD countries, but it, it continues to grow. And it means that, as, as I mentioned before, it means that chemicals only have to be tested once and not several times. Uh, and we estimated that the savings to uh, governments and to industry due to uh, uh, mutual acceptance of data is uh, in the order of 309 million euros uh, every year. So the, the, the savings to, to governments and industry are quite, uh, quite substantial. Uh, but it also means that uh, uh, the scientific community agrees as to what sh is a high quality standard for uh, for data that can be used in, in the risk assessment of, uh, or, and as well as classification and labeling of, of, of chemicals, uh, which means that we're, we're raising the standard of quality of the data that is available for, uh, uh, for classification and labeling as well as for, for, for risk assessment. And because uh, uh, we all agree what the standard is, uh, all, all data that is generated qualifies as such. And so we're increasing the basis of uh, high-quality data that is available uh, throughout the world for risk assessment and, and classification and labeling. That's great. Um, then over to another topic that you also mentioned earlier a little bit. And this is something I think many, many people are interested in hearing about. Uh, so it is a common challenge. We're talking about animal testing. So what do you think, what can be done to... Um, to accelerate the move towards kind of wider acceptance of, of alternative testing for animals in the future. Yeah, indeed. Uh, this, this is one of the, the drivers of our work uh, today. It is also one of the big challenges we are having uh, because uh, there's, there's regulatory hurdles, there's technical hurdles that, that we need to overcome. Um, and we're suggesting to have a, a two-pronged approach here. One is to increase the availability of the standards, meaning developing more uh, test guidelines that, uh, uh, that rely on, uh, on non-animal uh, methodologies. Uh, and we recently had some uh, success in uh, publishing uh, a guideline that uh, fully can replace the animal test for, for skin sensitization, which uses the results from uh, several uh, non-animal uh, test methods to come towards a conclusion on, uh, on, on skin sensitization that can be uh, fully used without, uh, without using animals. Um, and so we are preparing uh, more of those uh, defined approaches. Uh, we have one on, uh, I think, eye irritation currently on the books, uh, which may even be uh, published this year. Uh, and we're proposing to uh, use that concept also to uh, push the envelope and, and move into more uh, complex, uh, complex endpoints. Uh, in parallel, uh, we would like to uh, increase comfort of using those, those methods among, uh, among regulators by having a learning by doing approach. Uh, we have what, you, what we call the... Uh, uh, a case study program on integrated approaches to testing and assessment where uh, countries and regulators can come and showcase how they have used non-animal methods for uh, regulatory decision making. And so, and uh, have a discussion among regulators 
uh, is this how I could also have done it? Or if it was me, uh, uh, how would I have done it? What would I have wanted to see differently? What would I have wanted to see in addition uh, for me to make a, a regulatory decision? So again, similar, uh, having the similar approach that we used to have with the high production volume chemicals program, uh, where uh, countries learn from each other and, and gain confidence from, from seeing uh, how everybody else is doing it and trying to do the same. Uh, so that, that is the, the, the second approach. Um, and of course, in parallel, also continuing to, uh, um, uh, to develop other uh, uh, types of tools like the QSAR toolbox, uh, which uh, is gaining, gaining traction, which can already be used today through read across approaches for any type of, of endpoint and not just easy ones where we have uh, uh, alternative test methods uh, available. So we're having these uh, multi-tongued approaches to try to, to push the envelope. You mentioned there in the beginning that there are some some hurdles still, some technical hurdles, some regulatory hurdle, hurdles. Um, but if you would need to give some sort of an guesstimate, do you think we will be able to move to alternative testing methods? And if yes, when would that happen? Yeah, I mean, among among the, the hurdles that, uh, that we're clearly seeing is the, the lack of reference data. Uh, uh, we want to have uh, uh, methods that uh, move away from the animal uh, model uh, and we want to be predictive uh, uh, for human uh, toxicology. Uh, and I, I just mentioned the success we had in developing alternative methods for skin sensitization, uh, which was facilitated uh, through the fact that uh, we have ref human reference data available. Uh, Germany did a, a fantastic job in in curating uh, the, the human data that is available, which allowed us to really showcase that uh, the method that we've developed was really predictive of uh, uh, human effects. We will not have that for uh, other endpoints. Uh, what we will have is uh, animal reference data that we want to move away from. <clears throat> so in end effect, we don't have a, a ref uh, the, the right reference data that we will need to uh, uh, validate our, our methods. Uh, so that's a, a big, big uh, technical problem that we will face. Uh, and so uh, uh, experts are, are already thinking now how to overcome that. One of the, the areas of reflection that we have instead is to move away from predictivity and move towards um, um, protection. Uh, so rather than trying to be predictive of the animal mo model, can we develop methods that are protective of human health? Um, so that's one of the uh, discussions that are, are going on right, right now to try to uh, um, overcome some of the uh, um, uh, technical hurdles. In terms of timeline, I mean, this, this is an interesting question. Uh, knowing that we have been working on this for 20 years now, uh, for 20 years now we have been developing uh, non-animal methods uh, to some degree of success, but... Over the last 20 years, there was never a quantum leap. There was never a time where say, countries said, okay, now we're ready. Now we're, we, can, we can switch and uh, uh, move towards a new, uh, a new paradigm. paradigm. I, I have the feeling that uh, countries are now willing to talk about it. Doesn't mean it's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, but I'm much more confident now that it's going to happen over the next 10 years rather than the next 40 years. Very interesting. This is definitely something we will keep on following then. And then actually moving to something quite different. So uh, maybe something um, that is 
closer to the core or close to the core of the OECD work. So if we think that more and more countries nowadays have a legislation in place um, to manage industrial and, um, and consumer chemicals, this is still not the case everywhere. So could you maybe, with some words, uh, describe the concrete work that the OECD is doing to help its members and partners? I guess there is also a difference between member and partner countries that still are adopting their um, uh, legislation or, or taking steps towards that direction. Yeah, the, one, one of the areas the, of the OECD chemicals program that I, I, I would very much like to expand uh, over the next few years, and we already tried to do this uh, over the last uh, few years, but but COVID uh, made, made it more difficult, is to uh, increase our work on capacity building in, uh, in, in non-member countries, in partner countries. We are uh, gaining experience, uh, and we will be gaining experience through um, uh, the next wave of uh, accession. Uh, you, may, you may have heard that uh, the OECD has invited six countries to start the uh, accession uh, process. Uh, these are uh, the three European countries, uh, Bulgaria, Romania and Croatia, as well as three uh, uh, South American countries, uh, Peru, Brazil and Argentina. And so uh, to uh, become member countries, they uh, have to adopt uh, a number of OECD standards, uh, uh, including uh, they have to become members of uh, mutual acceptance of data, uh, as well as quite a number of other uh, legal instruments that uh, exist in the area of chemicals at the, at the OECD, um, including what I mentioned, the systematic investigation of, uh, of industrial and consumer chemicals. Uh, so they, they, they need to uh, implement uh, uh, legislation to uh, uh, systematically uh, investigate all of, their, all of their chemicals. They also have to implement a globally harmonized system for uh, classification and labeling, which is also a, uh, an obligation to become a member of, uh, of the OECD. Um, so and in uh, and we will of course help those countries uh, through uh, uh, dedicated uh, trainings and uh, dedicated capacity building events. So that that will uh, occupy us quite quite a bit over the next uh, next few years. In general, uh, the o you may know that the OECD is uh, <coughs> a member of the uh, interorganization program on the sound management of chemicals which is a, a collaboration between nine uh, intergovernmental organizations uh, that uh, coordinate their work on, on chemical safety. And uh, they are also uh, trying to do joint uh, work on capacity building in uh, developing countries. The OECD is part um, with uh, UNITAR and the ILO of uh, a global partnership for implementing uh, the GHS. Uh, the globally harmonized system for classification and labeling. Uh, and through that, we are trying to help countries that uh, are interested in implementing the, uh, the GHS uh, to do so. The OECD uh, uh, brings it uh, to the table uh, their knowledge with uh, uh, interpretation of uh, classification criteria, as well as the uh, interpretation of uh, uh, test results. Uh, as well as uh, the dissemination of information on, on classification and labeling through the uh, uh, OECD system called uh, ECAM portal, where countries and companies can, can find existing results on, on classification and labeling. 
Um, so th those are just examples of uh, capacity building activities that we are trying to engage. Um, and as I say, this is an area of work where that I like to uh, to to develop uh, at the OECD. I want the OECD to, be, to become more uh, active, uh, uh, especially on um, in the area of uh, um, managing industrial and consumer chemicals, which is where the OECD has probably the uh, the biggest expertise compared to other uh, intergovernmental organizations. Before we uh, we conclude, uh, you've already mentioned quite a many of the of the drivers for the work at the moment. You've also mentioned some of the some of the challenges already. But at the end, I wanted to still check if there are some of the challenges that you haven't mentioned uh, for the future years um, or or at at the moment that you think that uh, OECD and its uh, member countries, partners, any other institutional collaborators should um, should take a closer look. So um, what would those be? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll propose that we have a, a, a global look. Uh, where are the global challenges uh, today in, in terms of chemicals management? Um, and I think one, one of the areas, and you mentioned this before, is we need to get the basics right. Uh, there's still too many countries that do not have basic legislation in place to, to manage chemicals. There's no regulatory legislative core uh, available in, in, in many countries. If they want to regulate a chemical, they cannot do so uh, without going to parliament with uh, uh, having a substance-specific legislation. So there's no regulatory legislation available. And, and that is one of the, I think, the big shortcomings today. Uh, we need to help countries to uh, have basic uh, uh, chemicals management legislation available that allows them to, to pick a chemical, use a risk assessment, and, and implement uh, risk management measures where, where, where needed. And, and in the same way, uh, GHS is, is still not implemented in, in probably uh, 50 to 100 countries. Uh, and so I think that's one of the uh, uh, areas that should be a high priority for, for all capacity building uh, in, in, uh, around, around the world. Uh, and it should also be one of the focus areas of the, the new framework uh, for international chemicals management that is being negotiated uh, right now, the successor of the UN strategic approach to international chemicals management. Uh, and I'll mention the third one, maybe where OECD is not so much involved, but uh, which is uh, equally relevant, which is uh, highly hazardous pesticides, uh, which is probably one of the biggest chemical uh, issues uh, around the world, uh, with still chemicals that are uh, being banned in most OECD countries because they are too hazardous to being uh, used safely, uh, that are still being used uh, in, in too many countries around the world. Uh, and so helping those countries move away from those chemicals and uh, towards more sustainable uh, alternatives would, would be uh, one of the priority areas. And still, I mean, this, this will sound weird for, uh, for us here talking about uh, emerging issues. There, there are still uh, legacy issues which we haven't dealt with. Uh, lead is still killing people uh, worldwide uh, and we haven't gotten rid of lead. Uh, lead is being used in... Uh, uh, to color um, spices in, in many countries around the world. So uh, uh, lead exposure is still uh, quite a problem in, in many countries. 
and, and so uh, from a, a global point of view, there's quite a number of basic issues that we haven't tackled yet. At this point, I'd like to thank you, Bob, for taking some time to share your thoughts with us. Well, thank you again for having me. It was a pleasure. It's been very interesting to hear your views on global chemicals management and follow the path from past successes to future challenges. It's clear that a lot of good things have been done, but there's still a lot to do on a global level to really make chemicals safer. And this is, of course, something that we will continue following up in our podcast. If you want to find more episodes to listen, go to your favorite podcast channel. Safer Chemicals Podcast. Sound science on harmful chemicals. 